You're listening to That Music Podcast with me, Bryson Tarbett. I'm the music educator and blogger behind That Music Teacher and ThatMusicTeacher.com. Join me as I dive into what it really means to be a music educator. I hope that you're able to find a nugget of inspiration each week as I share my favorite ways to create purposeful instruction through active music making. Along the way, you'll hear from some of my amazing colleagues as they share practical advice that you can apply to your own classrooms. So grab a coffee, sit down, and let's get started. This episode is brought to you by That Music Teacher Store. From t-shirts to mugs to stickers and more, head on over to thatmusicteacher.com store to get all of your music teacher needs. From a shirt to wear on Casual Friday to a mug to let your coffee go cold on your desk as you teach your kids, you'll find everything you need at That Music Teacher Store. To check out the full collection, head to thatmusicteacher.com store. What if I told you that you could easily implement more student choice in your classroom while at the same time increasing the level of differentiation in your lessons? Wouldn't you want to at least give it a try? Today's episode is all about learning centers and how, what they can do in your classroom because I've only done them a few times and they've had mixed results, but when they go right, they have really changed my view of music education. So today, I brought in the expert on centers in the music classroom, Aileen Miracle, to share why she believes learning centers belong in the music classroom while also giving you tips to get started so that you can have more successful days, especially when you're trying something new. Aileen Miracle teaches general music, band, and choir in the Olentangy Local School District in Ohio, not too far from me, and this is her 23rd year of teaching. She received her Bachelor of Music Education from Central Michigan University in 1999 and her Master of Music in Music Education with a CODA emphasis from Capital University in 2003. Over the past 15 years, she has held leadership roles in local, regional, and national music education organizations. In 2016, Aileen was awarded Teacher of the Year at Cheshire Elementary, and she has taught methodology and folk song research for the Kodai programs at Colorado State University, Kaplan University, and DePaul University, and presents workshops across the nation and around the world. Y'all, I cannot wait for you to hear this conversation with Aileen Miracle about learning centers in the music classroom, because I truly do believe that this conversation and what Aileen shares can really change what you do in your classroom. So without further ado on my part, let's get to the interview. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to That Music Podcast. This episode is going to be amazing, all about learning centers in the music room with the wonderful Aileen Miracle. So Aileen, thank you for taking some time and chatting with me this afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. All right. So like I said, I'm really excited about this topic because I have personally the last couple of years really been working on differentiation and trying to like include that more in my classroom. And the easy, quote unquote, <laughs> easy way to do that has always, has kind of, my mind has instantly gone to learning centers. Now the implementation of that has been a little different. So that's why I'm excited to be able to pick your brain a little bit um, and see what I can do to better and what my listeners can do better. But before we dive into that, will you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you went to school uh, and where and what you teach currently? Sure. So I grew up in Metro Detroit in Michigan. Uh, so for my undergrad, I went to Central Michigan University and uh, graduated uh, way back in 1999. And um, then I taught for two years in uh, the same district that I graduated from in Utica. And then I started my master's program at Capital University and moved to Ohio. I taught for five years in Lancaster, which is a rural school, school district outside of Columbus, and have been in Olentangy uh, ever since then. 
ever since my five years in Lancaster and my two years in Michigan. Uh, and I'm now in my 23rd year of teaching in ONTNG. The school that I'm at right now, Cheshire, I've been at it since it opened, which was, oh gosh, my oldest daughter is now a senior in high school and she was in first grade at that point. So uh, it's been really great to be at that school for such a long time and to, you know, see it open. And, and over the course of my career, I've taught kindergarten through seventh grade general music, fourth and fifth grade strings, fifth grade band, and third, fourth, and fifth grade choir. But currently I'm teaching K to five and maybe choir, depending on what happens with the school year. <laughs> um and I, my husband, Scott, is a singer-songwriter. My oldest daughter, Jenna, like I said, she is a senior in high school. And then Macy, my youngest, is in third grade. Awesome. And you just re-entered the physical classroom after spending last year virtually, correct? Correct. Yeah. So that it's so kind of crazy. quite a journey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Aileen. So other than teaching, what is something that you're passionate about or that brings joy in your life? Yeah. So before I started my blog and my store and all that, I actually was writing novels, um, which is just, I really enjoyed doing it. And then things got really busy with all of that. So um, I should probably get back into it. I was in a writing group at one point and that was really fun. Um, I should probably get back into it and try to get my last one published, but that was definitely a really fun, creative pursuit. And then I just bought a Cricut actually for my classroom to make like vinyl sit spots for my classroom, but I'm realizing there's a lot of really fun things I can do with it. So it's just a fun little outlet, like to make earrings or t-shirts or whatever, just something fun to do that has nothing to do with teaching or with music. I have so many friends that love their crickets. And it's one of those things where like, just like you said, they bought it for one specific reason. And then now they're just cricketing everything. Yeah. So I totally get that. <laughs> yeah. And I had like an old school cricket. Oh my gosh. From like 2005 or something. Um, and I realized what the newer crickets could do. And I was like, uh, yeah, I got to get that. <laughs> <laughs> so Aileen, what led you to pursue your degrees in music education? You know, I've always loved music and I knew I wanted to be a teacher. I was like that kid teaching to my stuffed animals in fourth grade. So um, I just thought, well, I guess I should be a music teacher because I love music and I want to teach. Uh, but I thought I would teach high school because I didn't really know any better. Um, I didn't have elementary music. And when I, I moved in sixth grade, we did have a music class, but it was pretty much like sitting on risers and singing out of a textbook while the the teacher played piano. So I didn't really know what elementary music could look like. So I thought high school and but something with about it didn't quite sit right with me. And then uh, I saw a Delcro's workshop when I was in college and I was just hooked. Um, and then that same Delcro's professor, I started taking uh, the Delcro's course. We were really lucky at Central to have a course a separate course for Delcro's, Orf, and Kodai. You really had to kind of like etch out the time in your schedule to be able to take all of them. Uh, it wasn't really kind of part of the typical workload, but I took the Delcro's class, loved it, and he actually pulled me aside and offered to give me free pedagogy lessons, which was amazing. So I started working with him and I ended up actually taking the Orf class and the Delcro's class, but not the Kodai class. I took could I, uh, when I started my master's. That is awesome. I yeah. wish that I would have had that opportunity to undergrad. Yeah. That's, that's such a cool, um, 
experience that you were able to get um, to help you kind of dip your toe into what <laughs> what elementary music is like. Yeah, I'm really lucky. So let's go ahead and dive in and ta- start talking about learning centers because I know um, I know I am personally, but also my listeners are really excited to get to pick your brain a little bit because you seem to use centers a lot and it seems to work really well for you. So before we get like really dive in, what for you, what is the purpose of using learning centers in your classroom? Um, I think, it, you know, if you're trying to set up a, a learning environment where it's more student centered and the students have more voice and choice, centers can be a really great way to do that. It also can be a great way to more easily assess and differentiate, like you said, and really to have the students begin teaching each other instead of you always feeling like you're imparting your knowledge on them and you're like the sage on the stage, students really begin turning towards each other and teaching each other. And you, and you as a teacher can become more of a facilitator, which is really amazing. And it really that, can help. Sorry. I was just going to say it can really help like improve their understanding of a certain concept through doing centers. I agree. I think with, with my experience doing centers, being able to kind of let go of the control a little bit and see what the students come up with and have them have some more choice and agency in the classroom can really help, especially I've noticed, especially some of those kids that might not necessarily super thrive in that kind of teacher-led scenario in the music classroom. It's kind of nice to be able to um, see how they can be musical in a little bit of a different way. For sure. Yes. So how did you first start using learning centers in the music classroom? Kind of walk us through that process. Sure. So this was my oldest daughter was in kindergarten at the time. So this was like 12 years ago. Um, I had been attending some music workshops where the kind of this idea of like a more student centered learning environment that was becoming more of a buzzword. It was becoming more of a thing that people were talking about. And I really wanted to find ways to be more student centered. And I was trying out a few things that I was learning at workshops, but I felt like I could do more. Um, And for a particular first grade lesson, I was wanting to do a lesson that really focused on TA and TT. I'm Kodai trained. So the way that I have been trained to write lessons, a lot of them will have both melodic and rhythmic elements in in the lesson. You're practicing a little bit of melody, you're practicing a rhythmic concept, unless you're doing a presentation lesson. But with this lesson, it wasn't a presentation lesson. And I really just wanted it to focus on Ta and TT. So I thought, okay, how can I, you know, accomplish this? What's a good way for me to do this? And at the time, like I said, my oldest daughter was in kindergarten, and she was at my school, I was her music teacher in her kindergarten classroom was kind of kitty corner to my classroom. So I would go in and check on her every now and then just to see what she's doing in the classroom. And I would see her doing centers quite often. So like, you know, maybe they're like, you know, learning the letter K or something. And so at one center, they're, you know, making the letter K with Play-Doh and another center, maybe they have an app where they're working on the letter K and another center, maybe they were, um, you know, writing, uh, the, writing letters or working in a worksheet or something. So they're working on the same thing, but in various ways. So I thought, yeah, I would love to do that. How can I do that in the music classroom? And that's kind of where I got my idea. So I, the first one I, when I did the first lesson for centers that I did was for Ta and Titi with first grade, like I said, and I just set up four different centers with four different ways to practice Ta and Titi. And I kind of went from there and 
had a lot of fun with it. I know I, my kind of my first experience teaching was in the preschool classroom and obviously centers galore. And I loved the idea of it. Just like you said, how where there's just, everything is kind of around the same thing, but it's like ex- exploration in different right. ways. And again, like you said earlier, it's a lot of student choice. There are a lot of, they're kind of student guided learning, yes. um, which is what drew me to the idea of kind of experimenting with using centers in my classroom. Uh, now that I'm in the music classroom. Yes. So yeah, we talked really a little helpful. bit about we talked a little bit about your you know how you how you ended up on kind of stumbling upon the idea of learning centers in the music classroom, but reflecting on you know the past few you know years that you've been using them, what in what ways have using learning centers really changed how you teach? Yeah, so I think in general I have looked for ways to be more of a facilitator, whether that be in a centers lesson or in a whole group lesson. Uh, or just a you know typical lesson. How can I be more of a facilitator instead of it being really focused on what I'm imparting on them? Um, I've put more small group work into my lessons. Like I said, both centers, non-centers. I've incorporated more technology into my lessons, which has been really fun. And overall, I think even in those non-centers lessons, I have given students more choice. I've made the activities more student-centered. Uh, so that, like I said, it can feel like I'm more of a facilitator and the students really have input as to what's happening in the lesson. They can really like build those great 21st century learning skills of working collaboratively and critically thinking and all those great things that we want them to do um, in both, like I said, both my center's lessons and my non-center's lessons. That again, I, I have, I've done very little with centers because it's just a lot of control letting go for me, which I'm yes. sure we'll talk about <laughs> a little bit later. Right. But in the times where things have went well, I've noticed exactly what you, you've noticed, you know, it, it really changes the way you teach and it really, it involves the students in a very different way. And I think in a, in a way that a lot of students really need in order for them to be successful. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Kids really love it. So what ages have you used learning centers with? And then kind of off of that, what ages have you found it most successful with? Yeah, so I have done centers with kindergarten through fifth grade. I do wait to do centers in kindergarten until they're a little bit more independent. Um, I have not done centers with my students in kindergarten yet this year. Um, I've done it with every other grade level this year, but not with kindergarten yet. So I wait a few months until they're a little bit more independent. It can work really well. And they, you know, in kindergarten are using centers or rotations or whatever you want to call them. They're using them all the time, but I only see my kindergartners for 25 minutes. So I just wait a little bit. Um, and as far as which grade levels can be the most successful, I do think upper elementary can be more successful quicker because they're just more independent. So, you know, they don't need quite as much guidance. But like I said, I have done centers with grades one through five this year. Um, This week I'm doing centers with second and third grade uh, for Melody, second grade for Somi and third grade for La. Last week I did rhythmic centers with fourth and fifth grade. Fourth grade was doing uh, half note. Fifth grade was doing T-Ticka and, you know, I have to give the little disclaimer that they are quote unquote behind only because of COVID, but you know, we all are behind. So we should probably take the word behind out of our vocabulary, but, um, and then first grade, uh, they're, 
just learning like the concept of rhythm in general, not a specific rhythm, but just like beat versus rhythm. So we did centers to practice rhythm and all of them were successful in their own ways. Like I said, it, it was a little bit easier with upper elementary. So for those people who are listening and trying to think, okay, do I want to try centers? You might want to start with first with your upper elementary because they will be a little bit easier, a little bit more independent, but it can work with anybody. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I guess I, I've, I've never been brave enough to try it with kindergartners. Uh-huh. <laughs> just because I feel like I love teaching kindergarten, but I feel like just getting through a normal lesson is kind of successful. Uh, but I, 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 I want to try, I want to try the idea at some point, you know, I just want to see what happens, even if it blows up in my face. I think it'd be interesting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I think what I might do when I do try it, because this is actually the first time I've taught kindergarten. Well, I taught kindergarten last year, but that was all virtual. Um, this is the first time that I've taught in-person kindergarten in several years. And when I was teaching it before, I had them for longer than 25 minutes. Um, So I think what I might do with kindergarten is instead of trying to do like four centers in one day, because that would be 25 minutes, four centers, that would be kind of crazy, is I might do like two centers and one lesson and then two centers in the other. So, you know, you can be creative with how you kind of chunk it up or structure it depending on the length of your time uh, so that maybe you spread it out a little bit and it doesn't feel so rushed. Yeah. And I, I know that I've had this thought and I feel like a lot of people are listening to this and saying, I love the idea of centers, but I only get to see my kids so often and so much time. How do I justify using time with centers when it's, when it's not me in in the front of the classroom? You know, how, how often you use centers and how, what would you say to those who are like, I don't have enough time? Yes. So I, when I first started off, I was just using them a few times a year with each grade level. Um, now I'm trying to do one to t- two times per quarter. So I see my students in grades one through five for 50 minutes once every five days because we're on an ABCDE rotation. Um, so it ends up being over a quarter, maybe like seven to eight to nine times, kind of depending um, on how many days off we have or whatever. So uh, like I said, I used to do it just maybe a few times a year, and now I'm trying to do one to two times per quarter. I would say if you're worried about not having enough time to do them, if you have enough time to practice any concept with your students, then you have enough time to do centers. Um, Because that's really what centers are great for. They're really great for practicing a concept and really like solidifying student understanding of that. So if that's what you want to do, then you do have time for centers. I think just kind of like having a mindset mindset shift and instead of thinking of it as like one more thing or I just don't have enough time, if you have time to practice something, then instead of practicing a whole group, you can practice it in small groups or at centers. I think it's a really good way to think about it where, so, you know, I'm not, we're not losing time. We're just doing it in a different way. Exactly. You know, yeah. In my curriculum, I would still be practicing T-Ticka or whatever you're practicing. It's just, instead of doing it all together, we're doing it in small groups. And I find that can be really helpful for identifying students that need more assistance, identifying students that like totally get it and identifying students that are ready for something completely different. And for I sure. think that it's, it's easier to get that kind of data, even informal data, when we're in small groups and we're able to kind of look at the room or even have pull one of them up um, individually or with small groups working with you so that it's not like people can't get lost in the whole group aspect of things. 
For sure. Yeah. And as far as like going back to how many times I'm doing it per year, I like to think in terms of like, let's say in first grade, you're doing ta, tt, rest, and so me. You could do centers after ta and tt. I actually even do centers during my preparation process when they're doing long and short, short. Um, and then after they learn rest, you could do centers. After they learn so me, you could do centers. You might do centers for something like four voices. So you can do it for a concept. You can do it for a skill with your older kids. Maybe you're doing it for ukulele or for, you know, note names on the treble clef staff or anything like that. There are a lot of different ways that you could use it. For sure. So speaking about those different ways, what are some of your favorite centers to use, whether they be like specific centers or just like ideas or how the game works or how how the different uh, activity works? What are your favorite ways to use centers? Yeah. So um, I went, like I said, when I first started doing centers, I did more of like a traditional model where I had four groups or four centers and each small group was at a center and then every five or so minutes we would rotate to the next center until by the end of the lesson, all the students had done every center. And that still works really well. A way that I like to do centers that I really like and the kids love is what I call choice centers. And the idea of that is you have maybe five to six centers set up around your room. And instead of telling students which center to go to and when to switch, you give them a little bit more free reign. And this is where really that you know choice comes in voice and choice, you tell them you can go to whatever center you want um, and you can switch when you want, but you can have some parameters. So you might have a parameter of, let's say you have six centers out. You might say, I want you to go to at least three centers in our time together. Or you might say, you have to go to three centers, but you have to um, go to the workshop or worksheet center today. So you get that assessment from them or whatever that might be. So um, you know, you can have parameters, but students really love having that autonomy to kind of choose whatever center they want to go to. So that's really fun. As far as specific centers, some really easy ones to do. If you have iPads or Chromebooks in your room or you're able to borrow them from a classroom teacher, using something like Chrome Music Lab, uh, let's say you're having students work on rhythm, you could do the Chrome Music Lab rhythm game. Or maybe you just have a creativity kind of center where they're working with something like blob opera or something like that. It can be really fun. Um, With instruments, I really like to have students figure out how to play a song. I actually just did this with, I'm doing this with second and third grade this week. So um, with my second graders, they are figuring out how to play seesaw, knowing that G is so and E is me. They kind of figured that out. And then um, for third grade, they're figuring out we are dancing. So it's a really good way to kind of solidify their understanding of steps and skips by looking at the barred instruments and figuring out which note is which. Um, As far as games go, like it can be great to have students play games like Amy Abbott has this really fun slug bug game in her TPT store that my fifth graders were playing with T-Ticka. That was super fun. Lindsay Jervis has a rhythm telephone game. I've used that in centers. That's also super fun. And then with technology, I absolutely love using spectrums, which are these really fun rings where um, it'll play a different pitch depending on what color you're pressing and you can kind of like program your app to go with certain colors and then the dash robot with the xylophone is also really fun it's like a coding robot but you can get the xylophone attachment which is really a glockenspiel but that's okay Um, and you can have students uh, 
kind of, you can have them create their own song. You can have them figure out which direction the robot should go for which phrase. There's a lot of uh, possibilities there. I want to first address the idea of the choice centers because I have never been that um, trusting, not the trusting. I've never <laughs> been that. I don't know. I, I, I will be the first one to say letting go of control is hard for me. Um, I've done centers before, but always like, all right, here are your groups. Go through right. these. I'm going to let you know to change. Um, and I really want to try, especially with my older kids, I really want to try that. All right, here we go. Do the things, you know, and and uh-huh. understand that, you know, if they don't get to all of them, that's fine. The idea is that, all right, if we're doing a center rotation for T-Teka, the idea is they're practicing T-Teka, right? The idea right. isn't that they do all these things. It's that they are able to, learn these skills and practice these skills. And I know that's, that's definitely a mindset block that I have. Um, and I really want to try that soon because I need to get it, just give it a shot and see what happens. Yeah. I think um, when I first started doing centers in general, that was definitely a mindset shift for me because yeah, I was used to always being in control. And like I said, I graduated way back in 1999 and they weren't talking about student-centered learning in 1999, you know? So that was definitely a shift for me. Um, So I think starting with traditional centers is really helpful. I would start there first. And I would also say, if you're interested in doing choice centers, uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell you to not make the same mistake I made. The mistake I made at the start of this year was going ahead and trying to start with choice centers. And like two seconds into it, like after I'd let the kids just go, I realized it was also somewhat of a challenging class. Um, I realized, oh, I should have done this. I should have started with traditional centers. So I would say start with traditional centers first and kind of train your students how to use the centers. And then once they're comfortable, they understand how to rotate, they understand how it works, then opening it up for choice centers is uh, a really great way to give them that voice and choice. Yeah, I definitely feel like going all the way through would probably be quite a spectacle to see without trying traditional centers and just kind of giving them the free reign when they're not, when they're like, all right, here, let's try this. Right. Um, So I'm sure that was quite the adventure. Well, and I I think I also like underestimated, like I, I was teaching some of my students last year, but they were students who were virtual. They weren't in person. And so they had another music teacher last year. So I'm looking at these students as, oh, these are my students. I've had them since first grade, but they didn't have me last year. So like they needed a refresher. (laughs) So that's okay. I shifted, I adapted and it worked. For sure. And I'm going to, speaking of shifting, uh, I'm going to shift a little bit off of the outline I sent you earlier. And I want to bring up a question that I just, I, I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't ask, which is what do you say to those people? And how do you, um, how do you justify the time that it takes to set up centers, whether it be cutting, laminating, getting all the games ready? Like, I know that's an investment. Like me personally, like I'm currently cutting out a bunch of like plastic or a bunch of laminated fruit. Um, mm-hmm. but how, what, how do you not go crazy actually getting the centers ready to go? Yes, that is definitely an obstacle that a lot of people face. I would say, um, to start just with one grade level. Um, instead of trying to get centers ready for like five different grade levels, I would start with one grade level. And I would I would have the mindset that like, I'm going to create these centers and it's going to take me some time, but that's okay because I will have it for I will have these materials for years to come. So after you do that round of centers, let's say you're doing centers for like so me and law, then you could put all of those centers together into a tub and label it Somi and Law Centers so that next time you do Somi and Law Centers, you just pull out that tub and voila, there's everything that you need. So I think, 
you know, kind of front loading, like, yeah, you're going to have to front load some of the work, but then once it's done, it's done. Like I had, um, I was doing actually so me in last centers and I had a couple of students who were finishing early um, and just wanted something else. So I grabbed my tub of so me and not, I opened it up and I was like, Oh, here's two more centers. I was like, here, you can do this while you're waiting, you know? So, and that's another good suggestion is just, you know, having something a little extra just in case you are doing traditional centers and your students get done early, but everything was right there in that container. So tr I would say to try not to get too overwhelmed uh, and you also don't have to have super fancy centers. You know, I think sometimes people think, oh, there has to be so much. And it, there really doesn't. You can do things that are pretty simple that don't require a lot of materials. Yeah. And like you said, like there's lots of good apps and everything. Um, and that can help as well. You know, it's not yes. not every center is something you actually have to physically create, laminate, yes. cut out, whatever. Uh, but like you said, it's kind of like an investment. You know, what? when you're picking center ice, I think you should be like, Hey, is this something I'm going to use more than once? Right. And if not, see if there's something that you could, I mean, just even if it's like, will I use this next year or, or could I use this in multiple grades, but bump it up for another grade or something like that. I think exactly. it's a great way to save your time and sanity a little bit. Um, and also I just me personally like, Hey, see if you know someone who's a national honor society, like, Again, half of those plastic, those fruit that I'm cutting out, I sent home with a secretary. Her daughter is a National Honor Society, and I'm going to mm -hmm. sign off and say that she got some hours for cutting out my stuff. <laughs> so, That's like, awesome. Yes, I, use I, those yeah, volunteers. smarter. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think, too, like with centers that it can be really helpful, not just for the amount of materials that you have to make, but also for student success if you use materials that they're already familiar with. So instead of looking at centers as like, I have to create like four brand new things, no, have at least a couple of them that are materials or activities that the students are already familiar with, because then A, they'll be more successful because they already know what to do. And B, you don't have to create a brand new center. Exactly. It's just using what you have. You, like I've used worksheets that I've used before for like sub assignments or whatever. Right. And in centers, and be like, hey, this this is some, this is covering what I need to cover. It's another way to experiment and just see what happens. Yeah. Exactly. So to sum things up, what is do you think would be the a first step for teachers that want to start using learning centers in the classroom? Um, I think if something that has really helped me when I think about like, okay, I want to do centers for X, Y, or Z. Where do I start? Uh, something that has helped me is to think in terms of four different types of centers. Um, I like to think of centers in the terms of instrument center, technology center, manipulative center, and assessment center. So if you think in those terms, and there are some centers that might kind of like fall outside those four categories, but most of the centers that I've done and that I can think of really do fall into those four categories. So if you can think within those four, then you could go like, okay, I want to do, let's say, instruments of the orchestra. So for my instrument center, maybe I have some instruments out and the students have to figure out and sort which instrument family each is in, right? For manipulatives, maybe you have a bunch of household items out and they have to make their own instrument and figure out what family it would be in. For technology, maybe you have them play with, with like the instruments of the orchestra, Young Person's Guide to the Orchestra website. Um, and then for assessment, maybe you have some kind of like instruments of the orchestra worksheet. So if you kind of think in those four categories, it can really help you 
kind of whittle down like, okay, what do I want to do? I'm going to think of these four categories. Boom, there are your four centers. So that can be really helpful. Um, I do have a centers freebie for Ta and TT that I could uh, give you the link to if you want to put that in your show notes. And then people can go ahead and just download that. And boom, you just print them out. And there are your four centers for Ta and TT. That way it's not super overwhelming. And, and like I said, just looking back at like, what do you have in your library right now? And what could you bring out for centers again? Awesome. I will be sure to put that, um, your freebie in the, the links for people to grab because I, um, I have a feeling I'm going to go grab those as well. <laughs> so Aileen, where can we find more of you other than just your, the freebie that I'll have in the links? Yeah. So I have a store on TPT called Aileen Miracle, just my name. Uh, my blog is called Mrs. Miracle's Music Room, and I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok also as Mrs. Miracle's Music Room. And then I have a Facebook group called Mrs. Miracle's Chat Room, and I would love for people to join and continue the conversation about centers or anything else music education related. All right. Well, I will be sure to put all of those wonderful links in the show notes for this episode. So Aileen, thank you so much for taking some time and chatting with me today. I really appreciate you taking some time. Thanks so much for having me on, Bryson. I appreciate it. If you found this episode helpful at all, I would really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Not only does this help me understand what you find most helpful, it also helps more music educators just like you find the podcast. To check out the show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned, head on over to thatmusicteacher.com slash show notes.